when it comes to the Earth's future, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person? And does it even matter for us whether we're positive or negative about the challenges facing our planet? Because whichever way we look at it, the planet is like a glass of water with a finite capacity. And with a global population bursting to an almost 8 billion people, this precious resource of our planet will become more and more stressed and stretched to its limits. Don't we all live on this ball spinning through space together? And don't we all have a duty to take good care of it, not just for ourselves, but for our children and for the generations to come? At UBS, we believe we can't go on pretending that everything's okay. We believe in taking action. The Future of Earth is the title of a recent report published by UBS. Our chief investment office, drawing on the expertise of over 1,000 analysts across the globe, wrote about the challenges we collectively face and highlighted the ways we can invest in solutions. I've had the privilege to talk with some of our experts about their views on the topics of water, energy, land, and people. Let's start with the resource we rely on to sustain, feed, and keep us clean every day of our lives. Do you know? It's water. Water has never been under such a threat as it is today. Did you know, for example, that today's agriculture industry uses alone almost 70% of the world's fresh water? So really, what can we do to protect this precious resource? To discuss the challenges and solutions, I'm delighted to welcome Elena Gulyemin. She's one of our credit analysts at the Chief Investment Office. Welcome to the podcast, Elena. Tell me, what's your personal connection to the topic of water? Well, you know, in my personal experience, I've always associated water with pleasant memories like diving, sailing. But also, um, in, in, I've also come to think about it uh, in a more serious way, especially on the severe impact that it has on people when water is lacking, like I saw in Africa. So I would say that water uh, is life and such is preservation is of paramount importance for our present and our future. I'd like to go back to something that you said just now about Africa. What did you see there that inspired you? I went to Ethiopia. It was still a time when um, Ethiopia was very poor and they were going through several draws. And I really saw how difficult it was for the population to do what for us is even basic, like washing oneself, having clean water to cook, uh, you know, watering, having the basic agriculture. And, and I really, that really struck me enormously. And I really made me think that, uh, you know, we have to do something. When I look at a globe, really the world looks like it's covered in water. So it's hard to understand where's the problem. Well, you know, it has been estimated that about 71% of the earth is covered in water. But the problem is that really only two and a half percent of the world's water is fresh water. Because and of this 69% is locked in glaciers or, or frozen. The, the, the issue here is that the demand is constantly growing. In fact, the UN estimates that 2.2 billion people lack safely managed drinking water, as we saw, for example, in Africa, and nearly 700 million could be displaced by 2030 due to water scarcity. Thank you. And, and where are the opportunities for investors in this space? The opportunities lie in the solution due to the problems related to water. The good news 
is that there are many innovation and technologies which help us preserve water resources. For example, precise agriculture, which means making use of satellite and all other precise data for better predictions and therefore better use of usage of water. Um, because if we think that the global agricultural production needs to increase by between 25 to 70 percent by 2050, so as to be able to feel the increasing global population. And now agriculture already use almost 50% of, of the global ice-free land surface. It's obvious that uh, one can't address the climate change without addressing, addressing the agriculture. They're really linked. Then we have to think that water utilities are using management system to collect and analyze the data and act upon them. So like help us preserve water, like the smart water meters are measure relevant factors. They measure the flow, the temperature, the pressure. So these, these are important instruments because they allow, they allow us to uh, avoid, uh, you know, spilling water, really throwing it away. Uh, we have the exactly the same point. We have the water leakage detection, which has the same purpose. And then the water testing and important desalination equipment to make use also of the salted water and purified. Thank you. Really, that's that's a much brighter picture now. Where could investors or philanthropists like our listeners start to focus? Uh, as investor, I would recommend focusing on companies that manage water consumption in their operation and supply chain. At UBS, for example, we support the UN sustainability goals and uh, specifically the goal number six is to ensure access to water and sanitation for all. And that means that if you invest into one of many sustainable investment solutions uh, at UBS, we make sure that your investment is going to support this cause. And as philanthropists, you can support or even start foundation and NGOs, which help us achieve the goal to preserve water. Uh, in our own charitable, charitable foundation, UBS Optimus is just one possible way. But, you know, there are thousands of incredible people and organizations out there that you might want to support. Because we, what we do is we connect interesting clients with them every single day. And do you yourself invest in this space? Well, of course, otherwise I wouldn't be qualified to talk with you about that. But yes, I have invested in energy efficiency and water scarcity funds. Thank you so much, Elena. My pleasure. Next up, we're covering the resource that's enabling you to listen to this podcast right now. It's energy. Did you know that energy-related emissions account for over two-thirds of all global greenhouse emissions? How can we bring those emissions down when we need to provide power to a growing global population? For the answers, I'm really pleased to welcome Charles Vizi, who has the Sustainable Investing Communications team here at UBS. Welcome, Charles. So great to have you. So tell me, what's the story behind your involvement in the energy sector and in the energy transition? When I, when I look at my own personal involvement with energy, I, I really like to think about it as my own relationship with the energy transition. Because this is one thing, as you mentioned, the two-thirds of greenhouse gases being emitted from the energy sector. It's one thing which drove me uh, into the study of my current master's program, which is sustainable development. And when I look back um, in time, and back to growing up, 
My family was reliant on coal as an, as an energy source. My dad was always going out to the garden, bringing in the coal, and that's how we fired the house. Yet I look at what we do today as a family, just in one generation, and we power with a little bit of oil, but a large amount of electric and also solar to, to heat and to run the house. And also, after a long debate with the family, we've just shifted to an electric vehicle. So I would say I have quite a strong personal connection with energy and the energy transition. So what do you see as the overarching challenge slowing down the energy transition? Yeah, there are challenges, of course. And I think the overarching challenge that we have is government policy. And that's where it all stems from at the end of the day. And governments really should not be tempted to try and lock in or incentivize existing technologies. But uh, they really need to look at providing incentivization for innovation, as well as unlocking barriers to entry for, for newer, maybe smaller firms who are a little bit more agile, more, more dynamic. What are the really exciting areas that our listeners should know about if they want to invest in the energy transition? Well, I, I think it starts right at the beginning for any investment that, that, that we look at. We want to make sure that it's supporting industry to move towards this energy transition. So any single investment that, that we look at starts there. I think here is the most exciting part of, of, of the opportunity um, to really meet the challenges that we've outlined and, and that we're facing. And it's where we need a combination, again, of both public and private capital to successfully meet that energy transition. And there is such a broad area here. You can look at some of the larger players in things like solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, or tidal, or you go into the very early stage, kind of proof of concepts. I mean, there, there are companies involved in developing biological fuel cells, for example, from fluorescent protein cells of jellyfish, or charging and using batteries or supplying batteries with power from seawater. But when you really look at it, I think there are three key areas. Yeah, that is producing renewable energy generation, electric transport, and alternative fuels like hydrogen, biofuels, or even synthetic fuels. Put all those together, and I think if you start looking at things like hydrogen, you've got perhaps a complete change in the shipping industry. Look at electric vehicles that we, sp we spoke about earlier on. That's the transition to you know, a new mode of transportation. And combine that with things like carbon capture and storage, you have an enormous area in the public equity markets or even the green bond markets that you can access if you want to go into the private market space. Think of things like renewable infrastructure, also off-grid electricity networks. These are very, very exciting places where people can invest to really support what we're trying to do to meet those sustainable development goals. Thanks for sharing your insights, Charles, and for helping our listeners better understand the investment opportunities around the energy transition. Thanks, Lena. It's been great to share that with you today. Now we come to people, health, and communities, and the role people play in the health of our planet. As we've seen with the global pandemic, disease has the power to bring the world to its knees. And climate change plays a big role in that. Rising temperatures are impacting people in unexpected places right now as we speak. In the end, people are responsible for how we address climate change effectively, not only at a macro level, but at the community and personal level. To talk about this today, our guest is Temis Temistoklius, who is head of the Investment Office of Europe, Middle East, and Africa here at UBS. Welcome, Temis, and thank you for taking the time today. I have a very broad question to start. Why do you think the role of people and communities is important in the current context of climate change? And what role do or should people play in ensuring that quality of life doesn't suffer as the effects of climate change become more obvious? 
Thanks, Lina, and uh, good to be with you. Um, it's, a, it's a very important question, and it really reflects how we think about the future, what we inherited when we came to this life, and what we want our children, grandchildren to inherit from us. And, and clearly, what we do, all of us collectively, is got to influence that outcome. Just take the, the first point around health. Uh, the environmental pollution is one of the top five causes of death today. Uh, so it's really material. But also in, in things we sort of, uh, the environmental change is driving sea levels and a number of uh, cities uh, could be un under threat from uh, rising sea levels. And there's some projections that the, the, uh, the sea level could increase anywhere between 35 and 75 centimeters in this century. And, and, and a number of cities would find large parts of it underwater if there is no action. The economic impact is going to be huge. Thank you, Temis. You talked about how health health can be impacted by climate change quite drastically. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Uh, air pollution, as I mentioned earlier on, is the fourth most common cause of death globally. So it's significant. Uh, we're talking about uh, more than 4 million deaths potentially uh, linked to environmental pollution back in 2016. The other one is uh, heat stress. Uh, and some of the very big cities because of the density of population, uh, intense uh, use of energy, and not enough air circulation, you have these uh, cases where you, you have significant increase in heat that really pushes, puts a lot of strain uh, on the human uh, health. The way we need to think about that is to go back to the source of some of these issues. Uh, how can we address the source of these issues so that, so that we can address the, the impact on, on humans? Are there any positives? What innovations do you see that might help turn things around? Yeah, absolutely. And that's when I get re really get excited. Uh, there's a lot of te technologies developed in addressing the direct uh, issues like uh, cancer, like uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, respiratory conditions. Health tech, for example, technology uh, within healthcare is a big um, uh, opportunity, which we've been highlighting in the past, which is going to make delivery of healthcare a lot easier, efficient, and at a lower cost going forward. Developments around treatment of, uh, of cancer, oncology, they, there's been a lot of development. It's a huge market. And I suppose around uh, extreme heat urban cities, things like insulation of buildings, again, a lot of uh, developments there, but also redesign of the whole cities. What aspect of this topic is closest to your heart and, and how do you support it? I should just disclose that, that I'm a chemist by training. When I was doing my PhD, my team looked at oil as a, as a, a finite resource and we were looking for alternatives. So this is an area that uh, because of my training, I was always super interested in how can we find uh, different sources of energy and how, what role can technology and science play in that. And this is an area that uh, personally I've also invested in hydroelectric energy, but also indirectly uh, through private equity, some of the early stage development technologies that look at uh, renewables. Thank you so much, Temis for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks, Lena. Great to be with you. Now let's move on to the topic of land, the ground upon which we stand, live, and work. 
population growth and unsustainable practices are threatening the land that we rely on for food, and it's making it harder for us to cut carbon emissions. To discuss these challenges and possible solutions, I'm really delighted to welcome Antonia Sariska. She's one of our experts on sustainable and impact investing. Antonia, what's your personal connection to the topic of land and sustainable land use? I've personally always been living in larger cities, but maybe like most of us, I spent a lot of my summers with my grandparents in the countryside. My grandfather is a beekeeper, my sister is veterinarian, so plenty of touch points there. But I think these kind of interactions have also made myself and, and sort of my, my uh, family and my friends a lot more conscious about the food we eat, where that food comes from, um, how do we go about not wasting as much of it. And I think these are issues that relate definitely to me, um, most likely to you and to many people around the world. How is land use linked to carbon emissions? Um, yeah, indeed, that's uh, an excellent question. And, and on one hand, we know that we need to lower carbon emissions dramatically, um, and we need to recognize that our food systems are responsible for a third of those emissions. On the other hand, we need to increase, actually, the production of food something by something like 70% by 2050 in order to feed our growing population on the planet. And I guess that really begs the question of how can we use our continuously shrinking land for better output and to actually be continuously able to provide this nutritious, healthy, necessary food for our survival. What are some investable solutions that could be relevant for individual consumers and investors? We already have a lot of the tools and the technologies that were proven to be effective in addressing the challenges of agriculture, deforestation, loss of biodiversity, and all the other topics we've discussed. So we largely think of these solutions as the answer, and we'll think of the role of investors in helping to scale those solutions. First, we'd focus on technologies that will help us monitor and validate basically where our food comes from. The second bucket I think of is smart agriculture. So basically, how can we get the most nutritious, healthiest amount of food with the limited resources that we have? And the third one I think about is the, the technologies we have to make our consumption and production more sustainable overall. Now let's take the first one, which is on monitoring and validation. And these are technologies that would help us as consumers to really understand where our food comes from. Um, an example of that could be uh, using distributed ledger technologies such as blockchain that would allow us as consumers you know, to, to get all the details about the farm or the company where our food comes from by simply scanning a QR code in the supermarket. Another example is drone technology or satellite surveillance, which allows things like crop monitoring and managing through weather events and so on, and really gives helpful information to farmers when they need to plant their crop yields. If we think of our second bucket, so sort of more of smart agriculture technologies, we're really thinking about how to increase our food input, essentially, by minimizing our land and water usage. And here we will think of precision agriculture. We will think of vertical farms, of robotics, of, of smart meters for our water irrigation, but also things like latest technologies to enhance the nutritional value of food, make food more nutritious, have more healthy calories for us as humans, for example, through, through gene editing. And in the third bucket, when you're thinking about sort of sustainable production consumption in general, we'd really want to enable ourselves as consumers to be more cautious, essentially, about our waste and about the food that we bring to our homes. And here we will think of the growing appetite for plant-based meals, for alternative proteins, 
Um, but also for digital marketplaces that actually allows our food to be distributed in a more effective way so that we don't have leftovers in one place and scarcity in another place. Where could investors or philanthropists like our listeners start to focus? Um, and there are a number of investment options that focus on smart food and, and on agriculture technologies and on biodiversity, but also companies that in general address key sustainability challenges. For, for example, I'm invested in a fully sustainable portfolio of public companies and funds which, which address a wide range of sustainable development topics, um, including sustainable agriculture and land use. But I've also made sure that my pension fund is invested with a sustainable lens. And I also have a smaller private investment in early stage companies within green technologies. I guess for me, and I, I believe for, for many other people out there, it's been a matter of, you know, thinking what I could do as a person, what I could do as an investor with my savings, with my pension fund, with my investment capital in general, and also thinking where I could channel my philanthropic donations and how I can support organizations that really deserve it. Thanks, Antonia. It's great to learn about these positive developments. If you want to learn more about how you can protect land-based resources, please get in touch with one of our client advisors. Hi, I'm Mark Hafley, and I'm part of the team that wrote this report. Coming out of the COVID crisis, I think that we're all looking towards the future of the planet and how we can contribute and how the companies that we work with can contribute to getting the earth and the environment back on track and building a better future for future generations. And I know you're probably thinking UBS is a very large bank and other corporations talk about being part of the solution. Can you prove it? Can you put some actions to that? Well, certainly these are big problems and they're complex problems. And I know we don't have all of the answers, but we are trying to take actions. And so, for example, things like last year, we made sure that 100% of the electricity that powers our business came from renewable sources. And we believe we're on track to be net zero of greenhouse gases in business by 2050. We've made sustainable investments, the preferred solution for our wealth management clients investing globally, and we're managing 793 billion US dollars of sustainable investments across the globe. So yes, we're a big bank, but we believe we're a big bank with a purpose. Every day, we're trying to reimagine the power of investing. Our goal is to lead the industry with our sustainability efforts, and we certainly would like everyone to join us. Every day, we're trying to connect people who want to help shape a better world. To read our report and get involved, search for UBS Future of Earth. And there you have it. We can invest in positive change. The opportunities are there. And as we heard from Mark himself, UBS is ready to lead this change and embark on this journey with you. Thanks so much for tuning into this Future of Earth podcast. And let's not end it here. This is just the start. Get involved. Get in touch with UBS on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, where you can follow Mark Heffler directly, or even visit our website at ubs.com CIO, where you can download the full report that we talked about today called Future of Earth. And please share this podcast with your friends and family, because we can't change the world by acting alone. We need to work together, investing our expertise, energy, and resources towards protecting the planet. Surely that's a cause worth fighting for. Let's look at this glass as half full. After all, 
What's more important than the future of Earth? Thank you for listening to this podcast. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on ubs.com CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your advisor if you'd like to learn more or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Please always read in conjunction with the information found on ubs.com CIO disclaimer. This podcast is produced by the CIO office of UBS. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.